the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Monday, May 2nd, 2022. It is, I read, Teacher Appreciation Week. In that vein, I thought I might refer a few things to you about teachers and my views of and on them and their profession of late. Views, admittedly a little traditional, but views I believe the research stands up is still highly worthy and more worthy than most of the modern trends. They may be traditional, in other words, but they are good and not because they are traditional. Old is not a synonym for good or for bad, any more than new is a synonym for bad or for good. The question is, is something in and of itself good or bad, regardless of age? Does it comport with common sense and sound research with measurable outcomes? And does it comport with a morality that complies with the task and the people? In 1988, then-Education Secretary Bill Bennett commissioned a study entitled What Works in Education? It was based on the most sound of research, and because it served students, children, and families and the outcomes they expected, it's been mostly dispensed with. Why, you may ask. The same reason the head of the United Federation of Teachers, Albert Shanker, once said, as soon as students pay union dues, they'll be my first concern. Now, as you know, a funny thing happened on the pathway to that notion. Children did become a concern of the teachers and teachers' unions in a way they never had been, and especially over the past 10 years or so, but for all the wrong reasons. Not for reasons of academic outcomes, but rather social outcomes. Hannah Arendt noticed this progressive tendency early on, writing, We are reaching the point where it is the children who are being asked to change and improve the world as we adults have our political battles fought out in our schoolyards. I give you Virginia. I give you Florida. I give you almost every school board meeting you've attended out of outrage over the past several years. Last week, President Joe Biden told a group of teachers at the White House, quote, they're all our children. They're not somebody else's children. They're yours when they're in the classroom, close quote. Last year, the former head of the DNC and former governor of Virginia, trying to become the governor again, said, quote, I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decisions. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach, close quote. In our progressive mindset, parents as parents are out. Public employee teachers as parents are in. And if reliable research since, oh, about forever is solid on not exposing young and developing minds to age-inappropriate advanced sexual themes is to be desired, much less considered— you will be called and labeled a bigoted epithet. You might even have several corporations attack you or the police monitor you. Hannah Arendt put it this way, quote, to force parents to send their children to a school with beliefs against their will means to deprive them of rights which clearly belong to them all in free societies, the private right over their children and the social right to free association, close quote. Anyway, Back to what works in education, what the research shows, not the research of how to make a Marxist, not the research of the pedagogy of the oppressed or its notion of education 
as a revolutionary profession, uh, profession, which was the dominant book and then theme in education schools in the 1960s and 70s and even into the 80s. And I suppose that point begs the question of what the purpose of education is. To most parents, it's to teach their children well. To the Marxists and educators as revolutionaries, it's to upend everything in society. In fact, it may be the most antisocial movement in the country because it is designed to change society with children as the early recruits and infantry. But if you're of the view of most parents, you want your child proficient, if not advanced, in certain things, math, literacy, history, geography, and the like, including music and art, or at least an appreciation for them. And to accomplish that, of course, requires great teachers dedicated to those instructions. That would seem an obvious point, but it is not. As the What Works in Education research found, common sense tells us and education research confirms that youngsters rarely learn what they do not study. Since students study what adults teach, it is important for adults to define essential knowledge and resolve to teach it well. Now, stop. If adults teach something other than math, literacy, geography, history, and the like, students will learn that, those things. You may at this point want to ask yourself why it is that 44% of our fourth graders are illiterate, but well-versed, proficient, one might even say, in sexual and race themes. You may want to ask yourself why 50% of American 12th graders are functionally illiterate, get an F in American history, but are proficient, so they tell us, in knowing how to talk about what they think is American fascism and evil. Now, I think two other things are important to mention here as well, and I haven't heard mentioned elsewhere. Up until about three years ago, when teacher retention rates and the teaching profession was rallying across the country for better remuneration and conditions, the chief complaint was how much frustration teachers had with their extra workload. What extra workload? Being asked to do the work of parents, parents sending their kids to school without having done the real homework of life, teaching their kids manners, discipline, respect for elders, proper clothing, the importance of school, and so forth. Teachers would often say things like, we have double duty now, the work we're supposed to do and the work parents expect or rely on us to do, or alternatively, the work that should have been done at home but isn't, or the work parents won't do. From those complaints of many years standing, we whiplashed to en loco parentis. We will be the parents. We should be the parents, or at least the parents should not be involved when it comes to the classroom time. They are, when they are in school, the kids, as Joe Biden iterated last week, the teacher's children and nobody else's. Curious, no? What was a complaint only three years ago and a long-standing complaint going back about 30 years or so has become the demanded wish, the desire to be the parents or act in the place of parents? I think this is so because when ideology and the use of education for revolutionary outcomes is the desire, no amount of work is too much. Workers of the World Unite is not an empty cry, and the common ownership of the means of production is the public school, where parents with their own ideas are no longer welcome because they challenge the state's ideas. You see this even in school decisions now to conceal from parents the desiderata of young kids who wish to transition or even change their clothes during school hours. What the neo-Marxist movement brought to education was the notion that there is no such thing as a neutral education process anymore. 
And from becoming maximally in loco parentis in the place of parents, it's a pretty short stone's throw to the notion of parents patriae, where the state becomes the parent, just as in Cuba, just as in the old USSR, just as in China, just as in nowhere anyone tries to move to, but millions have tried to and still try to escape from. Back to the teaching profession for a moment, because I think in honoring teachers, there is an imperative to honor the profession so that it succeeds. In the What Works report, we write about what makes for a great teacher, and the answer is first, a thorough knowledge of the subject he or she proposes to teach. Second, the ability and desire to communicate that knowledge to students. And third, sound character. These attributes are to be found in individuals from many walks of life, and they include but are by no means limited to graduates of education schools. But not just there. Telling me someone is a good teacher because they went to a graduate school of education is like telling me someone is a good writer, thinker, communicator, you name it, because they went to a graduate school. Pause a moment. Anyone know of a bad lawyer or doctor? They went to graduate schools too. So consider the irony of our current situation when thousands of American parents are pulling their children out of public schools where education is free and the teachers are all certified or nearly all certified and making the decision to put them in private schools where they pay tuition and most of the teachers aren't certified or homeschooling. Let me take a moment on homeschooling. I don't care what the communalists or Joe Biden or Randy Weingarten say. It is an upending of all Western understanding to refuse to acknowledge that parents are the children's first, best, and all but indispensable teachers. And so those who choose to homeschool will largely do with their students, children, what you can never pay enough for a professional to do. This is where I usually would put in a good and positive word for the amateur teachers or the word amateur. It should not be deemed a pejorative. It was never meant to be. It means non-professional someone who does something not because they are paid to do it, but because they love to do it. Amateur, amore, love, comes from the same word. For those not homeschooling, since teaching is indeed a profession, and teachers tell us rightly they want to be treated as professionals, we should, if we want to attract the best people to teaching and keep the good teachers we already have, we must begin paying not simply for seniority or papered credentials, but for actual performance, for how well our teachers teach and how much their students learn. Until good teachers are paid more and more than bad ones, our efforts to improve teaching and learning will be frustrated. Finally, if I may steal from a speech Secretary Bennett delivered at a conference on teaching when he was serving as secretary, teachers are absolutely critical to our identity as a people. And that lies in the fact that they hold the responsibility of preserving and transmitting to each new generation what may be called our common culture, the things that bind Americans together as one people. In its highest form, this common culture is the sum of our intellectual and spiritual inheritance, our legacy from all the ages that have gone before us. It is the knowledge, ideas, and aspirations that shape our understanding of who we are as a people and what we are capable of accomplishing. What are some of the elements that make up our common culture? They are documents, like the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. They are certain principles, like the right to free speech and a belief that all are created equal. They are the stories of certain individuals whose vision inspired and saved a nation, towering figures like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King. 
They are events from our past that have shaped who we are, such as the landing of the Mayflower, the Boston Tea Party, the surrender at Appomattox, the landing at Normandy. Our common culture also consists of great books that give the highest kind of expression to the way we find ourselves in the world, ageless works like The Odyssey and Macbeth and Huckleberry Finn. All of this because at the end of the day, no culture can exist, much less survive, if it is ignorant of its own inheritance and history. When you look at what is being taught to teachers to teach and you look at the failed understanding of our own history, remember, 50 percent of high school seniors get an F in U.S. history. When you look at the dumping of the great books and the adoption of the avant-garde and counterculture books, along with the inflated effort to downgrade our own history along the way, you are not just changing the entire profession of teaching. You are changing the entire culture and country. The novelist Milan Kundera saw this happen to his own country and wrote, quote, The first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history, and then have somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history. Before long, the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was, close quote. So as we appreciate teachers this week, let us ask what it is that should be appreciated. That is to say, what is it we are putting a value on? Some put a value on destroying and upending the common culture, the country, and the family. Some struggle to preserve those things. It's all about what we appreciate. That is to say, what we value that will determine what gets taught and what gets learned and what our future shall or shall not be. And I will leave it there. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I want to focus on a few other stories here as well today. Um, this is heating up in an interesting way. Uh, Jen Psaki today, White House Press uh, Secretary, uh, was asked about uh, the Disinformation Governance Board, and she said, and I'm quoting, the mandate is not to adjudicate what is true or false, online or otherwise. Now, what's interesting about that is Secretary Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas of the Department of Homeland Security, says the board will have no operational authority. Jonathan Turley, law professor at GW, says it would seem that the first clear disinformation identified by the Disinformation Governance Board is its own name. What the heck could Jen Psaki possibly mean when she says the mandate is not to adjudicate what is true or false? So it won't make any judgments on what is dis disinformation and w what it will govern? I'm going to play some audio for you in just a little bit. From an interview uh, Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas had with Dana Bash over at CNN, uh, it was good to see and surprising as well to see Dana push hard on him. Uh, some in the media, not Brian Stelter, some at CNN, though, still have an old-fashioned understanding, I suppose, of the First, in, uh, First Amendment. Their hackles raise a little bit when they are told that the government is going to be involved in adjudicating truth and fault, true and false, uh, uh, falsity and, and, and veracity. And she pushed him on that. 
and I'll, as I say, get to that audio in a few moments. I've seen a few interviews. He said the same thing to Dana Bash that he said to Brett Baer on Fox, which is, I will be the first to admit we could have communicated this a little bit better. That's always his first answer, and it's a lousy answer. This is not a communication problem, as Dana uh, – as uh, – as, um, <laughs> uh, Dana Perino, sorry, as Dana Perino, I'm confusing my Dana, as Dana Perino likes to point out, these problems in the Biden administration are not communication problems. They are policy problems. You can't have good communication about faulty policy. You can't have good fruit from a poisonous tree. It's known as bitter fruit from the poisonous tree or the poisonous tree doctrine in law. And that's what, uh, of course, uh, Dana was talking about, Dana Perino, when she says this is not a communication problem. Let me see if I can get to the audio with Dana Bash real quick as long as I have a couple moments. I'll do it right now with you. This is Dana Bash of CNN asking uh, asking uh, about uh, the disinformation board interviewing uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas from the Department of Homeland Security. This is yesterday. A disinformation governance board. You unveiled that uh, this week. Republicans are calling it Orwellian and comparing it to the Ministry of Truth in the novel 1984. Can you clarify what exactly is this? What exactly will this disinformation governance board do? Will it monitor American citizens? Dan, I'm very pleased to do so. It, it, it's clear. I mean, th those criticisms are precisely the opposite of what this small working group within the Department of Homeland Security uh, will do. And um, I think we probably could have done a better job of communicating what it does and does not do. I'm going to play more of that. I just have to pause and comment. If you can read the room, and the room is the country, if you can read the criticism being alleged at creating this disinformation board, and you have CNN asking you, as the you know summation to that first question Donna Bash asked, are you going to be monitoring Americans? Isn't your fan first answer absolutely not, if that's true? Or do you go instead and wend your way around about, well, it's the opposite of everything that's been said, and I'll be the first to admit we probably could have. Do you not want to put people's minds at ease right away? They have no sense, none, zero sense. Or they do, and they want to blow right through it, of where the American people are on this. I'll tell you where the American people are on this. The American people are in the same place they are on this as they were when they wrote and uh, affirmed the uh, – uh, ratified the First Amendment of the Constitution, the entire implication of which, the entire meaning of which is that public opinion – will dictate our governance, not that our governors will dictate what can be appropriate or inappropriate public opinion. If there is something that's the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be, it's what Mayorkas and this Department of Homeland Security are proposing and engaging in, and not our concern over it, especially when they are asked questions like, are you going to be the mon monitoring the American people? And you go into some long, winding and fractious answer about how you need to communicate better. You could put our minds at ease. That would be a first start. Or 
you could put an end to this nonsense because those citing Orwell in 1984 are much closer to the mark than the Secretary of Homeland Security. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour. John Dombrowski joins us. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. He hosts his own radio show right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. The Word on Wealth. Happy Monday, John. I hope you had a good weekend. I did. Thank you so much. You, you as well. You, you are, uh, Remind me, you're an yes. early morning guy, aren't you? I am so. Yes, I am. I saw the fun, Well, maybe I'll tell you later. Well, I'll just <laughs> tell you. It's funny what you see on the streets in the morning. Yeah. I'm an early morning guy. I go running uh-huh. really early. Well, they're picking up the garbage this morning. But okay, so there's that. But I'm running on a trail, and I see a guy, feet on his handlebars on his bicycle wow. as his Great Dane is propelling him down the trail. Wow. It's Everyone's having fun. The Great Dane loves it, and the guy's just getting a ride in the wind. It's what? it's a funny country, I'll that, tell you. Uh, well, I don't know if I'd want to risk that. <laughs> I see the people, they put their dog's <laughs> leash on their steering Thats know, what the, he had. on yeah, the handlebars. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know about that. Well, yeah, there wasn't see much traffic at that, that hour. Way. But anyway, yeah. I thought you'd get it in the audience. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. I, you know... Um, People who write – I'm sure you have a group of them. When they write, you pay attention to them. Art mm-hmm. Laffer's one of them. Steve right. Moore's one of them for me. Yes. And they had a piece in the Wall Street Journal today talking about inflation, the causes of it, mm-hmm. the problems we're facing now. Everyone's kind of trying to relearn what they knew about inflation. I thought their op-ed did a pretty good job. I'd love your thoughts on it. Essentially, the problem is wages are up 5.6 percent. But consumer prices are up eight point five percent. Right, right, and it's, you're right. They're they're going back to uh, the Nixon, yep, Ford, yep. Carter days right. when we saw inflationary numbers like we're seeing today, uh, and then also talked about very similar types of scenarios that had occurred back then, yeah. which we did see the stock market declined. We did see uh, inflation uh, hurting the purchasing power of the of the American public, but also we saw income. Uh, rising, right? So these are all things that we're seeing right now. We're talking about uh, people are earning more, but yet the cost of things are more expensive than the raises that they received. So in reality, it's it's a lateral move. It sounds good in in uh, our conversation, but if you really look deeper into this, it's not better for. Uh, the American population, the American worker right now. Uh, but what is different right now, I do believe, Seth, that I didn't see in this article, and maybe I missed it, was the talk about unemployment. Right. You know, we have extreme low unemployment, whereas back then we did have a higher unemployment That's rate. That's right. So I don't know. Again, I'm not an economist. Uh, we, we certainly read a lot and we try to understand. But <laughs> I don't know these economists sometimes the way they talk. Yeah, I know. You line up a hundred of them, you get a hundred of them. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yes, I get it. But 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 there is a concern uh, that uh, that that stagflation could yes. come back if yeah. we are not on top of this, right? Yeah, and that's where the Fed really has a balancing uh, you know act that they they're they're trying to do here. They're trying to understand how to slow this economy down just enough to where it doesn't throw it into a recession. Uh, by raising interest rates. We saw that last raise, and that affected a little bit of the markets here. 
Uh, we're going to see this week the Fed meeting Tuesday and Wednesday, tomorrow and Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, we're going to find out what they are thinking moving forward. Are they going to raise a half a point? Or are they going to raise three quarters of yeah. a point? What yeah. They've said they're going to probably do multiple raises over the next few months. Yeah. Uh, let's see what's going to happen. I think the market is pricing, trying to price this in anyway. The market usually is forward-looking, uh, but... Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's no question about it. People are feeling it now. You know, it's, uh, people are getting nervous, and we understand that. We've made adjustments to our portfolios for our clients. As those out there, uh, you know, may, you should be looking at what you're holding and maybe understanding how you can uh, beat out uh, a little bit of what's going on right now by overperforming. And this is interesting. When I say, gee, the market's down 20%, but our portfolios are only down 7 right. Well, we outperformed the market. Right. We're still down, Seth. Right. But, you know, we outperformed the market. That's just an example of what I'm saying. So it's very difficult to make money in the market during these times, but you can certainly do uh, certain things to, to help improve on uh, what you're holding and try to, you know, Stay out of the way of some of what's what's happening right now. Nice, nice, nice. And if there is some silver lining, it's that I think politicians know that people vote with their pocketbooks more than anything else, with their wallets more than anything yeah. else. And yeah. it is in strong interest of the Democratic Party to try and fix some of this oh economy. My gosh. <laughs> yeah, of, of okay, course, if, okay, they, if they're okay, expecting right. any type yeah. of allegiance <coughs> right. know, come November. Right. Right. Uh, the other thing, too, Seth, I want to talk about this uh, maybe one day this week. Uh, gold. Did we think about inflation? Oh, yeah. Is, can is, we? Let's yeah, have a let's, conversation let's about, about gold. That. That's a yeah. good idea. All right, brother. All Go right. Ahead. Securities and Advisory Services. Offer the Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA, typically an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Check out our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Thank you. Bingo. Thanks, John. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. For those of you looking for a really great and unique investment opportunity with a great return for investors, I want you to check out my friends at Y-Refi. They are my friends. I've met with them several times and kicked their tires a bunch to fully understand what they're offering. And it is, as I say, really great. I'm talking about a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi helps people who are doing their best to dig out debt the right way by doing the right thing to pay off their debts and to do so with dignity, even getting their FICO scores fixed along the way. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really good people who are doing very well by doing good for others, and you can too. These investment endorsements are rare for me because I'm hugely cautious and uh, careful about what I will endorse when it comes to your investment money. I'll only endorse after a thorough and complete review and by getting to know the quality and ability of the people involved. What more can I say? How about this? Just log into investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. It's a local company. You can visit them. They will not give you a sales pitch. They'll just tell you about their business. And the business is the building of people's credit scores by fixing their debt and getting them out of it, helping people that others won't. That's investyrefi.com. Invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. The um, discussion I was having in my monologue a little bit about the teaching profession and it being Teacher Appreciation Week. Another interesting profession 
that has changed dramatically over the past 30 years is journalism. And one of the journalists that I think is critical reading because he's a real journalist and he does the work that others won't do and he digs deeply is Byron York. He's situated at the Washington Examiner these days and he puts out a daily memo. You can get it for free. I recommend it. He did something today that I have seen no other journalist take seriously or dive into or delve into. And that's uh, the Biden administration's transgender decree. Are you aware that the Biden administration has put forward a transgender decree? That is to say order. I want to get into all of that for just a moment. One way to shut down debate, Byron writes, on a contentious uh, subject is to declare that there is no debate on the subject. Everyone absolutely everyone agrees with one side. So why are you even trying to argue? It's settled. That's the that's the the left's approach to politically charged issues these days. Immediately grab not only the high ground but all the ground and dismiss anyone for pointing to something different. The Biden administration is doing that now with what the officials call gender affirming care for young people who believe they are transgender. Quote, there is no argument among medical professionals, pediatricians, pediatric endocrinologists, adolescent medicine physicians, adolescent psychiatrists, psychologists, etc., about the value and the importance of gender-affirming care, Dr. Rachel Levine, who is the Assistant Secretary for Health, has said. Said as recently as Friday. No debate. The next day, Dr. Levine made the case in a speech at the Out for Health conference at Texas Christian University, TCU. A month earlier, to observe International Transgender Day of Visibility, Levine's agency, the Department of Health and Human Services, released an information sheet on gender-affirming care for youth. Quote, for transgender and non-binary children and adolescents, early gender-affirming care is crucial to overall health and well-being as it allows the child or adolescent to focus on social transitions and can increase their confidence while navigating the healthcare system, close quote. That's your Office uh, of Health and Human Services, your Department of Health and Human Services. The information sheet included a chart detailing gender-affirming care. It listed four specific types of care with a definition and comment on whether or not it was reversible. The first type of care was social affirmation, which it defined as adopting gender-affirming hairstyles, clothing, names, gender pronouns, restrooms, and other facilities that can be done at any age or state, HH said. HHS, HHS said, any age, and is, they say, reversible. Indeed, while there is debate about the wisdom of such efforts, they are possibly reversible. But the department listed three other approved treatments that are not reversible. Puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and gender-affirming surgeries. The chart defined the first puberty blockers as using certain types of hormones to pause pubertal development, which it recommended during puberty. It called such treatment reversible, although there is great debate about that. And in any event, it is hard to see how delaying the age at which a child reaches puberty can be reversed since the child will never be that age again. HHS defined hormone therapy as, quote, testosterone hormones for those who were assigned female at birth, close quote, and 
quote, estrogen hormones for those who were assigned male at birth, close quote, recommended from early adolescence onward, and it was labeled partially reversible. Interesting, this notion of reversible really becomes a very weak word the more it's used, doesn't it? Gender-affirming surgeries were defined as, quote, top surgery to create male typical chest shape or enhanced breast bottom surgery on genitals or reproductive organs and facial feminization or other procedures. Such measures are, quote, typically used in, adul- in adulthood or case-by-case in adolescence and are obviously not reversible. Levine said there is no argument about the value and importance of these treatments, but in fact, all three of them are quite controversial. Just look at some of the commentary from an organization called the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine, which is made up of the type of medical professionals to whom Levine referred. In the group's own words, quote, we are an international group of over 100 clinicians and researchers concerned about the lack of quality evidence for the use of hormonal and surgical interventions as first young people with gender dysphoria, close quote. To get a feel for its approach, you can see a fact checked it published on the HHS gender affirming document that we were just quoting from. It leaves, shall we say, not a lot, but almost everything to be questioned. You might have seen more about this group, except members' views are sometimes censored by major medical organizations. Imagine that. For example, last year, the Wall Street Journal reported that the American Academy of Pediatrics barred the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine from setting up a booth at their annual conference. The AAP is working very hard to give an appearance that everything's been decided and there's no debate, said Dr. Julia Mason at Society for Evidence-Based gender medicine member. And now that is what the Biden administration is trying to do, too. Dr. Levine has declared the argument among medical professionals over. The new consensus, amazingly enough, seems to agree with Levine. And now the administration will move to the next step. Since the debate is over, since there is a scientific consensus in favor of gender affirming treatment, those who are still criticizing are not debating the facts. They are attacking their fellow human beings, according to the administration. I have more to say about this, and so does Byron. But in the meantime, just think about how well this, admin- this department did with when it censored other medical views on the issue of COVID. Now think about things that are affecting our children with things that can be permanently damaging and life-altering to them. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, parts of which are brought to you by the good people at Balance of Nature, whole food nutrition. Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies are made from fresh, whole produce. Through an advanced cold vacuum process, the vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients of the fruits and veggies are preserved so you get that vital nutrition in each capsule. You just take it once a day. The fruits go all the way from cherries and cranberries and grapes to grapefruit, papaya, oranges, pineapple, mangoes, bananas, blueberries. Really great stuff. 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables. Balanceofnature.com. I take it every single day. It's responsible, I believe, for my good health and energy. Boost your immunity. Keep your health in tip-top shape with Balance of Nature. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Uh, let me try and um, 
conclude this. Uh, yes, let me conclude uh, the Byron York point, if I might, uh, about the what do you want to call it? The cornering of the market. I think that's probably the best way to call it. The cornering of the market on truth. You're seeing it in the transgender debate as much as you are seeing it in almost every debate we are going through right now. Why do you think the left was so antagonistic towards the notion, so antipathetic towards the notion that the only thing Elon Musk wanted to do with Twitter that they knew about, the only thing was open up debate there and bring in alternative points of view from conservatives who had been censored. The left had nothing to say when Twitter allowed and still as it still does free reign free reign from people whose accounts include the ayatollahocracy of Iran, the mullahs of Iran, uh it has Louis Farrakhan. All that is fair game, but boy did they raise the rooftops off the 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 rooftops off the off the rainforests when it came to Elon Musk saying, and conservatives should be able to speak freely here too. That's all they cared about was the fact that he was going to allow for debate. The entire warp and woof of this administration is to shut down debate and the valence of opinions in America so that there is one and one only. Quote, those who now attack our LGBTQI plus community are driven by an agenda that has nothing to do with medicine, nothing to do with science, and nothing to do with warmth, empathy, compassion, or understanding, Rachel Levine said at Texas Christian University. Quote, they're rejecting the value of supportive medicine, rejecting well-established science, and rejecting basic human compassion. They prefer slander, bigotry, and gender-baiting hate speech. Close quote. Who would want to do that? Who would want to risk being accused of slander, bigotry, and gender baiting, risk reputation and livelihood for the question of questioning of the wisdom of gender affirming care for minors? Better just to be quiet is Levine's point, and that's how they get you. Shaming you into silence while they dominate the entire map, ground, and earth of what constitutes truth by their lights. It's a very, very insidious and dangerous thing for a democracy. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 